what you write can affect families as well. Hey, this is Karis Ryan. Welcome back or welcome to the Teach Me In 20 podcast, the podcast where we learn from a new guest each week. And this week we are chatting with Christopher Brown. Chris is an award-winning journalist from Ontario, Canada. He's also the host of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. I can't recommend it enough. Head on over, search for it on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And he joins us on my podcast talking about his experience as a court reporter. This is an episode request from one of my listeners. So if you want to learn something in particular, make sure you join our Facebook group. Send through your requests there. If you've got any other feedback from the podcast, either email teachmein20 at gmail.com or rate and review it in the Apple Podcasts. But for now, let's get to our fun chat. Teach me in 20. Teach me in 20. Christopher Brown joins me. How are you? Not bad. And thank you for saying award-winning journalist. It was a small independent award, but I still consider myself an award-winning journalist. It still counts. It still counts. (laughs) Damn right it does. So how long were you a journalist for? So almost 10 years as a a journalist. And I can tell you that 10 years of stories and writing the same stuff over and over again can be fun, but sometimes you have to move on. Yeah. So you've worked in courts. That's how we sort of, I wanted to chat to you about today. Did you choose that area or were you sort of put there? Yes and no, uh, depending on where I was working. So uh, a brief backstory of my life. Uh, uh, I started in television uh, journalism and I was told that I have the face for radio. So I went to radio and in the in the radio business, you get told you have the voice for print. So you go to the print journalism. <laughs> So, uh, in my time with uh, television uh, reporting, uh, being a journalist there, I covered a few stories and it was more of a, this is the assignment you got today. It's not, you get to choose your assignment. It's the editor telling you what to do. But it didn't really start becoming a beat that I covered until I got into uh, print journalism. But it chose me, but also I chose it from time to time because... Sometimes you're hard up for stories and you need to find something. So you go wonder what's happening at the old courthouse today and you run on down and you see what's happening. Okay. Was there a a case you remember in particular? There's actually a few. And uh, when you when you reached out, I I started going through all my old notes because, like I said, I pulled them all up and I started looking at them and just seeing. And I I pulled up some of my old newspapers because I'm one of those people that will keep my newspapers. If my name's in print somewhere, I'm going to keep it. So have you got a scrapbook? Oh, no, I have the actual newspaper. So I have them all in the back room. And uh, my partner was like, what are you doing? I was like, I need to read my old stories so I can have these great stories to tell. So I'm not like flubbing this interview. (laughs) So um, the one that really stands out is my very first major case that I covered was uh, in uh, the Orner Weekly Times. And it, it, it stood out for me because... Uh, it was it was sort of becoming a more prevalent thing that was happening in the society. Uh, there was a pr- local priest that was caught in a uh, pedophile sting. He was he had reached out to undercover cops in uh, I'm not sure if they have it in Australia, but uh, Craigslist. Yeah, we've yeah we've got something similar. Yeah, so they reached the the priest reached out to. Uh, 
the child, the alleged child in on Craigslist, they met up and he was arrested for potentially uh, having sex with an underage minor. And it was my very first, it was probably my, like my second or third month of being a reporter at the paper. So the editor at the time said, I need you to go cover this. I'm not telling you what it is because I don't know what it is, but we know that this priest is charged with something. So I need you to go cover it. So I went to this court case expecting that it was going to be okay. Maybe some like DUI, maybe something small. And when I got there, I was the only person in the courtroom that wasn't family. So I, I, I walked in and the looks that people gave me because I was a young whippersnap reporter getting in there and you know, just enjoy myself today because it was my first major court case that I was going to be covering. I walked in, they all just like looked around and they all stared at me at the same time until I sat down. And the feeling of going into a courthouse to begin with, scares the crap out of me because a you'd never want to be there. Uh, I I have never had that much dealings with the court system, so <laughs> I can say that most of it it's been on the other side of the uh, uh, the bar or whatever you want to call it. So I was sitting in the audience, and all these family members were looking at me, and as someone who had only covered small. Uh, like hit and runs in court, this was the major one that sort of stuck out to me. And this is the one that sort of said, okay, I kind of enjoyed it, but at the same time I didn't because you learn so much in a short period of time that it does weigh on you a bit. When you're sitting there and you're taking notes and you're listening to both lawyers talk about what was happening, when you're listening to the uh, police officers give their evidence about what transpired you are taking notes, but you're also trying to not let it affect you because mm. when they're describing some of the comments that the alleged had said to the uh, undercover cop, it does weigh on you because you go, this, this, this isn't right. But at the same time, as a journalist, you have to be objective and you have to be able to separate yourself from making those snap calls because you're not going to cover the story correctly. So you have to sort of push yourself out of that mindset and just take in all the information as possible and not let it affect you in a way that could uh, slant the story one way or another. Right. Does it, I mean, it sounds like it does take a toll on you. I mean, at the end of the day, have you? how do you cope with that at the end of the day? And even at the end of that, how long did that court case go for? So that court case went... I, I, I want to the first the first article I wrote was in December of 2007. I, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head because I just read them. 2007. I think it ended in I, I want to say July or August of the following year. So six months of wow. weekly trials of going back into the courtroom and hearing those comments and hearing those things that were going on. And during that time, you always have recesses, right? So you're not in there every week. Sometimes you're gone for about three or four weeks because there's other court cases that the judge and the defendant's lawyer and the crown prosecutor have to hear. So it's not every week, but it does take up a lot of your time when mm. you're in a major court case like that. And when you're writing the story, because... In, in print journalism here in Canada, you, you write the story as it develops, right? So I'm assuming it's the same in Australia as it is across the world. As things happen, you are covering it. Mm. 
So we are covering the stories every week in this in the Orna Weekly Times. And after the first article went out, the backlash that I got from the family, that that was the one that really hit home to me was what you write can affect families as well, right? So mm-hmm. while you're getting the information out there, you're getting out that this person did what they are alleged to have done, you are still affecting a family who is so prominent in a small town. So it can affect how you look at court cases as well. So how did you deal with it? Is it a matter of, oh, this is my job, I just need to block this out? Or is there someone you spoke to during the process to just sort of vent? Uh, Yes and no. The editor of the local, uh, like my editor at the time was very good at actually uh, being that sounding board. And I I would go to her and I'd say, okay, this is what happened. This is what we can and can't cover. I can't tell you exactly what the details are. But if you have these questions, I can't, I can't put it in the story. So if you have those questions, the readers are going to have that, those questions. So we have to write it in a way that isn't descriptive enough that is giving away too much, but gives the full story of what happened that week in the case. So I would sound that off with my uh, my editor at the time. And uh, my father, he, he was always one of those people that no matter what the issue was, he'd, he would give you his honest opinion and he would be blunt about it. So he would just tell me what happened. Okay, what are you going to do about it? If you want to show me the story, you can. If not, don't worry about it. But if you want to talk, I'm here. If not, don't worry about it. So uh, I yeah. did have those family supports that I can lean on, but it wasn't a thing that you could openly blab about because you didn't want to potentially go to jail for uh, not following the judge's rules. Yeah. Is that frustrating, hearing the evidence and then only being able to report on a small part of it? Oh, God, yes. Mm. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Because the thing is, you hear all the stories, you hear what the actual evidence is, and then if people aren't able to... in a, in a newspaper, you have inches to columns to write your story. Uh, our newspaper was between about 16 to 32 pages long each week. Uh, about half of that was all ads. So if, we, if I got five columns and a half a page, I was happy. So to tell a story with all the evidence that you need to tell, tell it how it happened in the courtroom, give the description, but leave out the evidence that is prevalent to the story because you can't cover it. It's hard because you want to tell the most accurate story and you want to give the reader the most honest opinion and honest information that you have. But when you are told you can't, it does change the way that you have to write. And it Mm. does affect how you actually have to get into the depth of the story because it can be challenging to tell a story without telling the story. It'd be like telling Winnie the Pooh without talking about Tigger, Eeyore, Rabbit, and Piglet, and just Winnie. And you'd go, okay, well, is it really Winnie the Pooh then? (laughs) Good analogy. I like it. (laughs) With the, you mentioned before, the backlash from the family. What are we talking? Are we talking letters? They're contacting you. They're coming to your house. You know, They never came to my house. They never came to my house. But what they did do, uh, after the first article went out, they sent me an email because... My byline would say Christopher Brown and then Christopher at ornoweeklytimes.ca.com. So they sent me an email and as a religious family does and uh, God bless them because you know what? They're looking out, out for their family and I understand that sometimes emotions can be high, but they did say 
that we're praying for you. And if this ever was to happen to you, I hope the swift like hand of God would come after you. So they basically were telling me that we want karma to bite you in the ass. Pardon my French. I, I don't know if this is a swearing podcast, yeah, but fine. I apologize. for. You can, you can <laughs> do what you want. But it's like your loved one almost assaulted. Well, I I'm just assume. Well, and that's, what, and that's that, that's where I get to when I read the email because they only sent me one email. But the question was, are you are you forgiving your son for potentially going after a minor to have sex? But the person who's reporting on it, who's telling the truth, who's telling what's being told in the courthouse, you're upset with them? I think it's a little displaced anger that you have upon your son. And the ironic thing is, and this is the worst part about the whole thing, the guy's name was Chris as well. Uh. <laughs> so that... <laughs> Exactly. So you're writing the story. Chris said this. Chris was doing this. And you're like, okay, I feel like I'm the asshole now for doing this. But at the same time, I'm not because he was the one that did it. I'm doing a service to the general public mm. because he had, he was a priest. He ran a youth camp. Who knows how many people were affected by him? Yes, you were going to hurt feelings. I've hurt enough feelings in my life as a journalist. And that's why I partly got out of it because there was so much hate towards journalists at the time that you just couldn't could do your job correctly without pissing somebody off. Mm. Is it tricky as well to write a balanced report when the evidence is so clearly like this guy is guilty? Oh, yes. So there are numerous times that I, I've covered court cases where um, there have been drunk drivers. Uh, they, they blew the blood alcohol level it was not something that you could say, yes, they are potentially innocent here, but they would get off because A, they had good record or it was a one-time thing or they apologized and you go, I'm sorry, you still drove drunk. Mm. You drove drunk and you're getting a slap on the wrist. You're not getting jail time. You're not getting a potential uh, a ticket. You're not getting a lien against your car. You're not getting anything on you. You're just walking free. And when you write it, oh yes, he blew a eight point or point eight blood alcohol level, but he still was found innocent because he he apologized. So yes, it does infuriate you from time to time when you have to cover court cases where you know they're guilty, they are openly guilty, and you have to report it as well. It, it's the way the chicken laid its egg this time because it, they were found innocent. Yeah. Did there come a time in your career where you just stopped being shocked by evidence? Yes. Uh, it would probably be, and I think that's why, uh, partially why I got out of the uh, business as well, because it was a court case in Lloydminster, and it was a drug deal gone wrong. And it was the typical, same old, same old, person A got in a fight with person B, and it led to them basically throwing out their alcohol or throwing out their weed. And it just it just became a point where it's like, OK, I, I'm not I'm, I'm desensitized to what's happening in this world right now. And when you watch the news, because as a journalist, you had to watch the news because you wanted to see what was happening in the world. You would just go, OK, that's happening over in that country. That's happening in our country. Yep. OK, there's issues going around. But at the same time. What can we do? Mm. Our our court systems are supposed to work it out, but they don't always. I feel that's happening now. You know, you hear, oh, another 100,000 deaths because of coronavirus. And now we're just like, oh, 
But if you saw 100,000 coffins, you'd be like, whoa, okay. Just, yeah, getting desensitized. Well, and that's the thing, right? It, it, and I'm going to, uh, I hate harshing on this as, as much as I do, but social media has desensitized us all to everything, right? We are just not as shocked as we once were. In, in 2000, I would say even in 2001, when a plane flew into the World Trade Centers, the world was shocked. We were shocked. But yet again, like you said, 100,000 people die in not even a four-month period, and we've just gone, mm. Yeah. So uh, are courts like that? Yes. Are there some people who are not desensitized to that? Yes. But I, I'm hopeful, hopeful that when people look at our court systems and look at the reporting that is being done in those court systems, they aren't looking at it as a desensitization of it, but more as an engaging information of what's going on in their local communities, because that's what all it is. Court reporting, you do not get court reporting in national news unless it's a national or a provincial story. So court reportings are mostly done by community newspapers, and that's where I was able to do most of my court reporting was local newspapers were able to tell the stories of what was happening in the court systems. The national news does not have time for that unless, like I said, it sells airtime. So, mm. Did you ever fear for your safety, for, you know, articles that you wrote on someone? No, I, I don't think I ever feared for my safety. I, I would say that the people that I feared were the people that I was reporting on, but I would hope that they... A, were in jail if they were doing the bad things that they were accused of doing, and B, uh, that they stayed in jail for a long period of time. And I'm assuming that they weren't that very uh, uh, knowledgeable of what reporter was reporting on them that day. But I, I wouldn't say that I was ever scared, but I was always second-guessing myself about what I was reporting because you can. It, it's hard to report on court cases sometimes because... You have, like I said, like we said at the beginning of this, you have to sort of separate yourself. You sort of have to be two people. You have to be report court reporter Chris, and then you have to be normal reporter uh, normal Chris. So when you went into that new uh, into that courtroom, I I was just a person who was going to be there to take notes, ask questions if I had them, but that was it. And then I would leave, and I'd come back the following day or the following week, whenever the next courtroom the court hearing was. So I wouldn't say that. I ever feared for my safety because I just was, like I said, I became desensitized to the whole issue around court cases. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned before you were the only journo in that court case, but most of the time when there's multiple journos, are you all helping each other and sharing info or is it just everyone for themselves to get that best article? Now, my fellow reporters would tell a different story than I will right now, but I am on the opinion that you 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 are trying to get the best story for the front page and you do not want to scrum with your fellow reporters because I always found that I would ask the good questions and I would see their the the answer to the question that I just asked in their article on the front page of their paper a day before we got ours out. So I made an effort to not talk to my fellow reporters because I was a reporter. I wanted to do the best for my newspaper. 
whenever there was a scrum, I would ask that question, but then I'd get back to the office, call that person up and say, hey, do you want to chat again? Brilliant. Yep. Because I would let them ask their questions, see what they were asking. And if they asked my question, good, I don't have to go back. But if they didn't, I'll call them up. And you get that rapport with people as well. When you when your phase becomes a staple of the courtroom, you, you get to know the Crown prosecutors and the defense attorneys and the judges very quickly. Now, the judges don't often talk to you. It's usually the Crown prosecutors who are the one talking to you. So learn who your crown prosecutors are because they will be your best friends when you need a quote and they were they are they will often more times than not give you a quote that you're looking for okay was there ever a time you didn't want to publish an article that you'd written yeah no uh usually in the newspaper business once the article's done it gets put into a server and then you're done you you have no say uh I went to a court case. There was children involved uh, with the domestic abuse charge. They were a prominent family. So it's oftentimes when you're looking at the kids and you go, okay, am I doing them a service? Am I am I doing them a service to publish this? Because in, in the day that we live in, you can pull up anyone's name and you can find out everything that they've ever said, done, or did. So in 20 years, will those kids regret me or be pissed off at me for writing that story um but it then becomes down to you have to cover the cases that are in front of you so you have Mm. to just cover the cases with a non-biased slant and you just have to assume that you know what people are going to make mistakes you can't no one's perfect but court cases sell inches Mm. in column spaces yeah so yes no, I've never had a bit. I've never felt I need to pull something. Have I had regret about writing these stories? Yes, just because, like I said, it's those, it's the kids that you always remember. And I hate to always say, won't someone think about the children? But won't someone think about the children? We've mentioned um, some of the challenges, Chris. What did you enjoy most about journo life and you know court reporting? Uh, court reporting. The best thing about court reporting <laughs> is when the politicians screw up. Not going to lie. Those are the good ones. Those are the ones you just come back to the office and say, well, Mayor so-and-so got a DUI again. Yep. Again. Yep. So we're going to do two inches or three inches on this guy this week. Well, let's do a full story on him. So those are the fun stories. And I I, I hate to say fun story because he got caught uh, drinking and driving. But at the same time, you go, you know what? Like I said, everyone is human. There is no perfect person out there, and anyone who says they are is lying to you. And the funny part is the one mayor, and I've had two or three mayors who I've (laughs) been able to cover uh, DUIs on, uh, the one mayor came up to me and said, so do you need a quote? (laughs) And then he walked away. So I was like, (laughs) okay. So at least he knows that he's done something wrong here. Oh, God. I mean... Do you think the legal system is fair from your experience? Silence is never good on a podcast. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to ad lib here for a few seconds. Uh, yes and no. Um, I think in 2013, 14, 15, when I was just getting out of the business, it was, uh, in Canada, we are innocent until proven guilty. Um, but with our rise of social media and the ever so happy 
uh, citizen reporter who records everything on their phone. Uh, it's now you're guilty until you're 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 guilty until proven innocent. So everyone assumes that you're guilty right away now, and I find that it, that is the one hard thing that I can't get around in today's court reporting is. You see the story, you read the articles, you hear, you get the uh, uh, evidence that's put in front of you, but then you look online and you see the people who are uh, the citizen reporters who are out there who are getting all that information that they don't know and they're just putting it out there for everyone to hear. And it taints the jury process as well. So if you if you were going to ask me about the jury process, I would say it's probably the worst thing, worst prob- process in today's age because we mm. just juries are not selected to be juries juries are selected for a verdict because there are shows out there and even and i i can't believe i'm even going to mention the guy's name dr phil oprah's right hand man he was a jury he was a jury person he selected juries to get the outcomes that the court cases needed so we have people who do that for a living now it's sad because we are no longer living in a society where we are free, independent thinkers. We are now in a society where people will judge us for what we wear, what we do, and that's how they want you to be on a jury. So, is our court system fair? Yes, but no. Mm. We're also seeing a lot of trial by documentary. So, Netflix, they're just doing all these docos on, you know, Making a Murderer, the Epstein one. It's just like presenting to everyone all this evidence and then and then you know a trial hasn't even happened or it, you know it's ongoing or it they resurface you know a trial because of a doco that's come out yeah and and i'm not a fan of those shows uh i've been uh forced to watch my fair share of them over the last two years since marriage um I, I can tell you as a former court reporter i i, I scoff at them from time to time because the people who are making those those uh, shows, some of them are true. Some of them, you know what? We we have new evidence come to light. We we talk about it on the show, so let's talk about it. But the ones that I can't get around are the ones that you have the detectives on the show saying, "Well, this person could have walked into this room and he could have said this to this person." You're like, "No, you you are making assumptions of what you assume is happening. You are not letting the evidence speak for itself. You are mm-hmm. saying that because this was here, this is exactly what happened." Yes, as a detective, you're supposed to work through the process and work through the evidence of what you see. But at the same time, after you retire, you're not just going to go on national TV and say, well, this person was this way and this person was that way. No, if that was the case, you would have said that in the actual courthouse. Mm. I had a question from a listener. How can we get more convictions? So whether that be rape convictions, DUIs, in your experience... What's the answer to that? It's a, it's a tough question. It is a tough question. And to the uh, to the listener, um, you, I would say that our court systems are the best that they're ever going to be. We have in we have judges who are on cases. We have uh, defense lawyers. We have uh, criminal uh, attorneys. We have crown prosecutors who are human. They are going to make mistakes. Sometimes the bad people get away with things. And that's the sad thing about our state of affairs. Do I think that uh, we are going to be, we are going to find a solution that will always put bad people behind bars and leave good people on the streets? Maybe in 100, 200 years, 
Do I think it's going to happen tomorrow? No. So I, I hate to burst the bubble for your listener. It's not going to happen. It we we are we live in a society of people who screw up, and we live in a society where judges can get it wrong from time to time, juries can get it wrong from time to time. So I, I don't know how to answer that question without saying it. Unless you stop crime, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I guess it's just frustrating. You know, she mentioned nine out of 10, maybe rape accusers get off. So, you know, nine women, can they really be lying? Or you see a a harsh penalty for one crime and then a lenient one for one where you'd go, that's even worse than that. So it's, I guess it's just from, you know, we watch just say online news or the TV news and you just question those. Can a good lawyer override good evidence? God, yes. Uh, all a good lawyer has to do is put reasonable doubt in anyone's mind. If you are a jury, as long as you are a good lawyer who can give reasonable doubt of why that person was doing what they did or wasn't doing what they did, sorry, then yes, a good lawyer can overturn any good evidence. Reasonable doubt is the is the, is one of the backbones of our society. If there is reasonable doubt that that person did not do the thing that they are accused of doing, yes, a good lawyer can get people off. And that's our that's our system, and it goes back to the question: um, How do we get more people? We don't have reasonable doubt, but there's always going to be reasonable doubt in cases, because there's always going to be that person who says, "Well, yes, that person was there, but was he actually there?" And when it comes to rape, and uh, I might put my foot in my mouth here, so I apologize, and but we are living in a world today where the Me Too movement has become the new norm. Women are finding their voice, and I'm happy for that. I'm I'm glad women are finding their voices. We are finding that the way that women have been treated over the last 100, 200, 500 years has been notoriously bad. We need to believe women who come forward, because without that belief, we are going to find that we are moving backwards instead of forwards. And when women who are who are accusing men of sexual harassment and this is the court reporter coming forward here have evidence tell your story but have evidence because in today's society we have court reporters who are people or twitter handles who think they're court reporters we have facebook people who think they're court reporters who the moment you accuse someone that they like, they are going to attack you. Mm. And that is the bad part about this world is no matter what we do, there is going to be people who will always try to push you down for saying what you need to say in a, in defense of what happened to you. It's a good point. We're seeing as well nowadays, you know, Hong Kong, China, journalists are being silenced in Australia last year. I'm not sure if you saw, but... Journos were under fire for leak uh, for reporting on leaked government documents. Do you think there needs to be more protection for journalists? God yes, God yes. And how can we uh, do that? Well, government needs to step up and actually put into place laws that will protect journalists because uh, when things get leaked, they are not being leaked for the fun of it. Okay, so. Uh, I, I've covered uh, things where 
a municipal employee leaked a document to me of a scandal that was going on in City Hall. So I had to cover it. I was asked where I got my source. You don't divulge that stuff. And anyone who says you need to, I, I, they are not in it for the right reasons. They're in it to cover their asses. Right. So, A, we need better whistleblower protections for uh, people who actually do leak the documents to the journalist. And B, journalists should not be able to, should not be held in contempt of court if they do not release their sources. Journalists, the only way a good journalist can work is if they have sources. And a good journalist doesn't reveal their sources. And I've worked with journalists who have, and I've worked with journalists who refuse to. And I can tell you the ones that have did not make it well and did not make friends in the newsroom at all. Okay. Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing today and educating us on reporting on the courts and life of a journo. Hey. I taught you in 20 minutes. <laughs> I know, it's my running joke now. No eps are 20 minutes. <laughs> need to change I feel like my... you should just cut it up. Cut it to... up to two minutes. I'm thinking of changing my cover art to just putting an X over the 20 and just like, whatever. <laughs> teach teach me. Teach me. No, I want to thank you for doing this. It was greatly appreciated. I, it was fun reliving all my past stories and I could go into so many more and it, it's amazing that the depth of... Uh, reporting that I used to do. So thank you for letting me do this trip down memory lane. It'll only cost you 20 minutes. Thanks for listening. And I hope you learned something new about journalism or the courts and reporting life. If you enjoyed the chat, make sure you show it some love. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Every review you make helps people find the Teach Me in 20 podcast so you can help them learn from this chat as well. See you next week. Teach me in 20. Teach me in 20.